Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to Unlocking Your World of Creativity. This is the podcast where we talk about inspirational thinking, tools and methods to organize our ideas, and also making connections and creating opportunities to get the work out into the world. And today, I'm just so happy to have a guest who's going to help us in a lot of those areas, and it's Amber Furman. Amber, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here, Mark. Unlocking your world of creativity with Mark Stinson. Well, it's just going to be a great conversation. And Amber, I have often noted that creative people have a lot of commas, hyphens, and slashes in their titles. Uh, our, Our multiple interests really come through. Amber is an attorney. She's a success strategist, a speaker, a podcast host. She's even a master practitioner in NLP or neuro-linguistic programming. Uh, Amber, that's that's a lot to juggle. That's a lot to uh, express your creativity in so many different ways, isn't it? It is. It is a lot. And what I found that helps so much is that there's always this common thread that goes through everything. And when I started practicing law and then found this love for the way the mind works and helping people with coaching and started making that shift, I had so many people ask me, like, how do you take the jump from practicing law to coaching and podcasting. And when you break them down, they're so similar because there's so much human contact in them. And so I find that most people, when they have all these different things going on, it's a lot to juggle. And there's so many similarities at the same time. And where do you find that, I guess, process-wise? How would you describe your creative approach to maybe problem solving or analyzing a case or talking about a a client's uh, business issues? It's really interesting because until about um, six months ago, if you would have asked me where I got my creative approach, I would tell you that I didn't have a creative bone in my body. And I, like so many people, thought of creativity as art and drawing and, and movies. And I failed sixth grade art. I couldn't do it. I couldn't shade to save my life and failed sixth grade art. And so I've always told myself I'm not creative. And that has followed me through my life. And about six months ago, I read a book called Creative Careers by Jeffrey Madoff. And it's a fantastic book. And he relates creativity to solving problems. He says every single business owner, every entrepreneur, every person that is solving problems in any way is creative. The more problems you solve, the more creative you are. There's the artistic side of creativity, which I think everybody associates with creativity. But then there's this true creativity, which is how do you creatively solve problems? And I've never actually thought of the process before. So you you pose an interesting question that's making me think because I can walk into court and I think that anybody who's watched any defense attorneys in court knows that there is a level of creativity that comes along with explaining your client's conduct. Yes. So so I definitely you you don't just stand up and say objection and then I mean sometimes I've (laughs) always wanted objection. Yes, I've always wanted to pull the objection. What I it's detrimental to my case line, right? (laughs) I don't have an objection except my client's a moron and this we're losing. (laughs) Exactly. Um, so as far as creativity in the process, I think it's being able to step back and being able to think outside the box. 
that's what we all get paid for, right? No matter what industry you're in, you get paid to be able to think outside of the traditional box, because if we could all figure it out, there would be no need for us. So it's how do you go against something? One of the areas that I practice in the most and absolute love, absolutely love is where immigration and criminal defense intersect. And you're arguing so much that a crime is not a deportable offense. You're crafting plea agreements that are um, creative in the way that they can solve the problem with the criminal courts and also protect somebody in their immigration standing. And so many times you're going against years and years of court precedent and you're picking on one little tiny thing to say, but this is different. And so it just comes down to the little minutia that allows you to step outside of the box that everybody else is living in and see a different perspective that improves their life in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And you're right. And I think not only do we think about creativity oftentimes in just the arts in general, but I think there's this light bulb moment that people think, oh, you just walked in and you had such a creative idea. But what, what about the researching and, you know, digging and, you know, all the things that it takes to find that creative answer? I, I would have to think in the legal profession that the homework really does inform the creativity, doesn't it? It really does. And we do ourselves a disservice. So switching gears just a little bit to the mindset side of things, um, we create our own reality by the words that we use and, and the thoughts that we think. And so when we're constantly telling ourselves that we are not something, like me constantly telling myself my entire life that I'm not creative, we are limiting our own potential because we are convincing ourselves that there is this part of the world that we don't belong in. And so when instead of saying, oh, I know how to figure stuff out because it's so crazy where I would say I'm not creative and the people around me would say, you know, one of the things that I love the most about you is if you want to do something, you're just going to figure out how to get it done. Well, isn't that creativity? And here I am saying I'm not creative. And by doing that, I limited my potential so much where something would come up as easy as a social media post. And I would hire someone to do it because I'm not creative. I can't yes. do it. You know? And so we really create these boxes for ourselves by the words and language that we use. So especially in creativity, but also in anything, if you guys are out there and you say, I'm not this, I'm not that, I would really encourage you to step back and think about what you're saying because you are creating that reality for yourself. So true. And I guess from the standpoint of, you know, marketing yourself, if I could use that word, but certainly there's a, there's a projection and an image and, you know, why would I want to hire Amber, a connection with people? Where do you find that in any of your creative pursuits? But what, what is the connection that people feel with your approach to creative problem solving? So I think that, and this may seem like such a, such a universal answer, but I think that it comes down to just being truly transparent with who you are. And as a recovering perfectionist and former people pleaser, the idea of repelling somebody was appalling to me. And I had to learn through business ownership that if you're not repelling people, you're not attracting anyone either. You're just kind of stuck in this spot. And so knowing that if you show up as yourself, if you show up completely transparent about who you are and what you can accomplish, that you are going to attract the people who align with your values, with your personality, with your vision, and you're going to repel the people who don't, and that those people aren't supposed to be a part of what you're doing right now. So you shouldn't chase them. 
Boy, we got to rewind that a second. Uh, as a co people pleaser with you. <laughs> I don't know that I'm former. Um, so I, I may not be recovering. But this thought that you might be repelling somebody to make room for other people that you could be attracting. Boy, hit us with that again and help us understand that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it really came into existence in my mind when I saw an image in a sales course that I was taking. And it had two sides of each bar. It, it was a bar. Um, and in the middle, it was like, everybody loves me. And on the outside, it was these people love me. These people hate me. And the middle was titled the broke zone. Nobody makes money there because nobody really sinks into what you're selling. And by selling, I'm not talking about products. I'm talking about ideas. I'm talking about words. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about personality. When we start podcasting, one of the first things that we're told is pick your polarizing question. What is going to be your stance that there's no right or wrong answer to, but some people will agree with you and some people won't. You have to have that in order to find your people and your tribe and, and the people that you're supposed to help. So if you're not repelling somebody, you're also not attracting anyone. You know, and you deal in I guess, references, data, cases, proof. Uh, where's the evidence to back that up? The evidence is in just being able to, to watch people be successful, right? Like let's look at, and, and I'm going to throw this name out here and people are either going to cheer or cringe. Let's look at Grant Cordon. I can't stand him. He's amazing and he's obviously doing something right, but I hear him talk and I'm like, oh my God, that voice, right? There's just something about it. Like tone yourself down. I'm not going to tell him how to be because he's obviously doing something right. And what's really interesting to me is with Clubhouse becoming a thing, I've had an opportunity to sit in rooms where Grant Cardone is just Grant Cardone, not Grant Cardone, the marketer. And he's an entirely different person. He's an entirely different energy when he's in a room where he's talking about helping you, where he's talking about um, giving you advice and just having a conversation with you. But in that initial marketing, he's either drawing you in or he's pushing you away. So interesting. You know, and Amber, you as a, this uh, title success architect, which I absolutely love that there is a design to success, that there's a true architecture to building that. Where do you find a lot of people's obstacles, you know, the, the roadblocks that keep them from building on their own success, I guess, traits that they have innately in them, but they just can't seem to get traction? Yeah. So I'm glad that you said traits that they have in them because my smart ass answer was going to be the mirror. That's where I find all of their blocks. Right. And it's so true. We cannot always see our roadblocks because they're us. We're standing in our own way. And this is where, you know, have you, have you ever just watched something like, and sometimes an, maybe an accident on the freeway, or you're watching your friends interact and you can see exactly what's going on. And they're so confused or that horrific time that you're driving down the freeway and you see this accident about to happen, but nobody else sees it. That's what it like. That's what it's like when you're trying to 
figure out your own problems on your own. We have, so just to go a little bit kind of geeky sociologist on you for a second, science has proven that there's three developmental periods in our values and our beliefs in our formation of what we think is important. From the ages of zero to seven, we're imprinted and everything around us, everything that happens, our unconscious mind understands, holds on to, and takes as 100% fact. From the ages of eight to 13, this is our modeling period. This is where we take that fact that we learned and we start to watch the people around us. The classic examples are the, you know, nine-year-old that swirls their juice like this because they watched <laughs> mom and dad on a Friday night, right? Or the kids who hold a pen in their, in their front two fingers. You're modeling the behavior around you. And then you get into the wonderful teenage years, 14 to 21. And this is where your socialization happens. This is where you're taking everything that you've learned, figuring out what you like, what you don't like, becoming your own person and really socializing and figuring out where you fall in your peer groups. All of these things create our values and our values are what we are willing to expend energy on to attain later on in life. So if you don't understand this, then when it comes to actually pursuing something and you've been told your entire life, don't be an entrepreneur, work a nine to five, that's become a value to you. Security has become a value to you. And you have this limiting belief that exists that the only way to be secure is to work for someone else. So neuro-linguistics programming is the study of understanding this, learning about what somebody's limiting beliefs and values are through their language, and then being able to reprogram it for them so that they can have the life they've always wanted. Mm, so good. And obviously this, you know, looking at other people and observing and coaching them is something that you do quite well, but it sounds like you've also had a chance to have that observation on you. What about that journey? And we don't have to go all the way back to age six, but how are some of your values shaped and then expressed in your career journey? Oh my gosh. So um, every single day, by the way, is this observation period for me. Um, I have so many people surrounding me um, that are so invested in my success that I feel like I'm constantly just like in a, in a bubble and they're shaking me. But the biggest is probably exactly what I'm doing now, success architect and where this came from. Um, my dad was a construction worker and he owned his own construction company. And I was a super big daddy's girl. And when I was 17, my dad was killed in a road construction accident. And through, I, I always knew I wanted to be successful. I just never defined what that was. And I went on this spiral after my dad passed away and through nine years of undergrad, trying to figure out like what the world looks like without one of the most important people in my life, I finally found this path to law school. And I had this idea that all of this sadness, all of this grief, all of this hurt that I had through my entire life um, was just going to disappear when I had a six figure job and a law degree. And so I just kept pushing. I kept hiding everything that I was feeling. And I kept pushing towards this law degree and this six figure income because it was going to solve all my problems. I get it. And spoiler alert, I still have problems mm -hmm. and I have this crash where I start suffering from panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And I, I, for the first time in my life, start going to therapy and start talking about these feelings that um, I have hidden from my dad's death. And I'm about six months in to my therapy and I tell my therapist, I feel like such a failure. And she says, you're a practicing attorney. 
you're respected in your field, you make six figures, you're the first person in your family to go to college. What exactly does success mean to you? And he said, I don't know. And I spent the next six years trying to figure it out. And that question, what does success mean to you? I didn't know it at the time, but it changed my life. And as I work with people, I realize that people don't ask themselves this question enough. They chase these ideas of success because they think it's going to bring them something that's unrelated to the end result. And what I mean by that is you chase a six-figure income. It's not about the money. I've never met anybody who says, I want to have six figures just to hold six figures. They think it's going to bring them freedom. They think it's going to bring them respect. They think it's going to bring them happiness. They think it's going to bring them something. And being able to understand that something so that you can help them realize that there are other ways to get that, that you don't have to dig in to this one path and let go of everything else and ignore everything else. Because I tell people that the most dangerous thing that can happen when you tie your happiness to an external version of success is you just might hit it. And when you do, and you're not happy, your entire model of the world shatters and you don't know which way is up because you've been working towards this idea that you just realized is completely false. Mm -hmm. So getting people to ask them that question, this is what my podcast focuses on. This is what my coaching business focuses on. Getting people to ask them that question of what does success mean to you? so that we can attain it before you end up in a crash like I did. Mm -hmm. And you're describing these external forces of or definitions of success, aren't you? That, yes. You know, this is what I read in Fortune magazine, you know, and so if I don't make this list or if, oh my gosh, I just turned 40, so I can't be the top 30 under 30 anymore. So now I've got... <laughs> You yeah. know, redefine that or whatever it is, but you're so right about that definition. And the, the goalposts keep moving if we're not careful. You know, if, Absolutely. I only, if I only get that house, you know, if I only have the two kids, or if I only have this, or if I only have that and reaching for that next promotion or whatever the case is, right? Absolutely. I recently started to, um, comparing it to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Like it's an illusion. You mm -hmm. never find the end of a rainbow and you never find success if you chase it. That's so good. And what about the programs that you've put together to help people ask that question? Maybe you can tell us a little about uh, what you do and, and how you're set up to help people. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking and giving me that opportunity. So first of all, I have my podcast, which is entirely free content where I interview amazing people like you. I had you on my podcast a little while back and we had an amazing conversation. Shameless, um, shameless plug. Shameless plug. Exactly. <laughs> no, I, um, I have for my, my podcast. my amazing is... guest. <laughs> um, and that's entirely free content. And then I do have a mastermind on productivity. It's really interesting to me that people, especially towards the end of the year, start talking about all the things that they want to accomplish the next year. And we talk about them in terms of resolutions. And then those resolutions just dissipate because we don't give them the mental energy that we need. And then, so if you've seen that meme that floats around where it's like my new year's resolution and the list stays the same, but the year keeps changing, like it's so true. And so much of productivity is about, defining your idea of success, defining what you actually want so that you're not just chasing accomplishments, being able to put what you want down into tangible goals and then set your or manage yourself in a way that you can accomplish those goals. So I have a masterclass to help with that. Um, it's called the Productivity Masterclass Draft Your Day. 
And then if anybody's interested, I do have a mastermind and they can reach out to me for more, more information on that. It's a 12 week mastermind about designing the life that you've always wanted. Mm -hmm. And I just find the mastermind concept so strong. I mean, I've experienced it several times in my own life where you join these groups and to say they're like-minded people, not necessarily, uh, but you get so much insight and then you get people you trust looking and talking, going back to our earlier discussion about observing, but you could say, this is what I'm doing. And they could look at it and say, boy, that looks good. Or I've done that before and it didn't work out so well or what have you. Absolutely. I mean, is that what you're seeing in the mastermind groups that you? It is. And I would love to give somebody credit for this, but I can't remember what conversation I was in. So just know it was not my original thought that having like-minded people in a mastermind does disservice to the people in the mastermind. Because if you only have opinions of people who are like you, then you're defeating the purpose of a mastermind. The purpose of a mastermind is to have people who are all focused on their own personal growth, all focused on an overreaching common goal and have different perspectives and different backgrounds and different individual goals because we live our life with our model of the world and our perspective of what's possible. And we keep going thinking that that's the only reality that exists until somebody shows us that there's a different reality. Going back to the entrepreneurial journey that I jumped into, I never thought that I was meant for this. I never thought I could do it. I never thought that it was a path that could happen. And then I started podcasting and I went to an event called Thrive here in Las Vegas in 2018. And I was surrounded with people who are making money podcasting. I was surrounded by people who are making money coaching. I was surrounded by people who were changing the world with their own particular visions that I had thought, man, I didn't even know that was possible. And so I would never have what I have now if it wasn't for surrounding myself with people who were different than me. So good. Well, Amber, as now you look over the horizon and think towards the future yourself, having probably defined your uh, success and your goals a little bit better, how, how do you see your creativity developing? What are some of your uh, next moves that you want to make? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm stepping into the speaking space. So I have my podcast, obviously, which always keeps me thinking about what to do next creatively. And then adding speaking onto that. And as soon as we can people again, being able to get into conferences and be able to impact lives, the virtual setting is amazing. And it's what we're stuck with right now. But I, there's nothing that compares to the energy of an in-person conference and the people that you meet. And so that's definitely on the horizon for me. And then really getting this mastermind to a place where it's changing a significant amount of lives. You know, I, if you change one life, that's enough for me. So don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. And I would love to change so many more. So good. Well, let's think about how we direct, because I know on this podcast, people are thinking about their own growth and development and, and creative pursuits. How can people connect with you and learn more about the master classes and this mastermind group? So the easiest way is probably to join my free Facebook group, Success Center on Facebook, and I can give you the link for that. If you are an email person, you can also shoot me an email at amber at amberfurman.com. Um, and I can give you that as well. So you don't have to figure out how to spell my name because it takes rocket science. <laughs> so check the show notes, everyone. All the links will be there. 
Well, what a terrific conversation, Amber. I really appreciate it. Both the, I guess, insight on your creative process, but also your personal journey. I think sometimes we get, a well, especially now that we're not interacting with as many people in our, you know, public circle as we used to, but we can get a little insulated, can't we? And a little like, I'm the only one going through this, or I'm the only one who's either suffered setbacks or facing obstacles. And and I think that's a good thing about podcasts like yours, podcasts like uh, a lot of our friends, but that you really get to hear these stories. Yeah, we are amazing as human beings at believing that we suffer in silence and that we suffer alone and taking all of the external evidence that shows us that what we're feeling is human behavior and human emotions and internalizing that to make it think that we're the only ones that are suffering from it. So the more that we can talk about our individual journeys, the more we can help people understand that it's natural. Uh, Very good. Well, I've just enjoyed our conversation so much. My my guest has been Amber Furman. She's an attorney in criminal defense and immigration, but more important, she's a success leader, a strategist, a host, a mindset motivator, and a teacher in this area of NLP. So uh, I encourage you folks to check out her website, check out the classes, the mastermind groups, and listen to the podcast on a regular basis. There are good stories and even just the title, More Than Corporate. We're all more than that, aren't we? We are, absolutely. We're more than whatever we think we are. Yeah. Well, thanks to Amber Furman for being my guest. And listeners, this is an example of this around the world journey that we're taking to unlock our world of creativity. We've been from Belfast, Northern Ireland to Singapore, and now in Las Vegas, Nevada to talk to Amber. But we're going to continue this trip around the world to talk to creative thinkers and creative leaders uh, about their tools, about their inspiration, and as important, to make connections and create opportunities to get our creative work up and out into the world. So come back and join me again for the next episode. I'm Mark Stenson for Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and we'll see you next time. Unlocking Your World of Creativity with Mark Stenson. Copyright 2021. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get our book, A World of Creativity, paperback is at a special price of $5.98 and the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to my website, mark-stinson.com. The book is featured on the homepage. You can click it and go to Amazon, mark-stinson.com and enjoy the book. 